You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hello, this is Dr. Penny Chris Etherton, President of the National Lipid Association. I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Alan Brown and presented by the National Lipid Association. Our topic today on Lipid Luminations is Coronary Computed Tomography Angiography, or CCTA, and our guest is Dr. Seth Baum, a founding physician and scientist member of the Society for Cardiovascular CT, and he serves on the faculty of the University of Miami, Miller School of Medicine, and the Florida Atlantic University. For your information, we're recording this interview at the National Lipid Association's 2011 Annual Scientific Sessions, which this year is being held in New York City. So, Seth, I know you've been highly involved in the meeting. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come and talk to us on lipid luminations today. Well, thank you for having me. We wanted to talk about this topic of so-called non-invasive coronary angiography. It's become more ubiquitous out there. Radiologists are setting up centers. But I know that you're a scientist, and you're going to tell us a little about who should have it and some of the concerns we might have about doing it on a broad population. So let's start out with what would the indications be for doing this test versus, say, a coronary calcium score? Okay. Well, first of all, I must say a couple of things. One is that this is clearly a changing landscape. And in 2010, the guidelines were actually revised, became a little more broadened. I think they need to be actually more broadened still. As you know from, you know, when we look at all of the guidelines in whatever field it may be in, I tend to think that the guidelines are restrictive, okay? And I think they're intentionally restrictive because they don't want things to get out of hand, people to be using tests indiscriminately, and people to have a sense of why they're doing what they're doing. So that's, to me, the foundation for what we, we're going to talk about today. As far as coronary artery calcification versus coronary CT angiography goes, there are a couple of very significant differences. First of all, coronary artery calcification has been around a lot longer. There are a lot more data demonstrating the value of coronary artery calcification. There are very large studies, such as MESA, that have looked at coronary artery calcification. We do know, unequivocally, that higher coronary artery calcification scores predict cardiovascular events very well. In fact, in some studies, such as MESA, much better than carotid intima thickness. So coronary artery calcification has that value. When comparing it to coronary CT angiography, which has been around a shorter period of time, there are a couple of differentiating features. One comes in the guidelines in which coronary artery calcification has been positioned as a test that's done in asymptomatic patients, whereas coronary CT angiography has been positioned as a test that's done in symptomatic patients. So that's a very clear distinguishing feature. The other is that coronary artery calcification, in terms of radiation exposure, gives a patient about one and a half millisieverts of radiation. And it used to be, until about two years ago, that coronary CT angiography gave patients 12, 15 millisieverts of radiation. So there was a big difference there. Just to put this in a frame of reference, a bone density is about 0.01 millisieverts, a chest x-ray is about 0.1 millisieverts, and a mammogram is about 0.7 millisieverts. So you see that a coronary artery calcification is about two mammograms. All right? Now, however, with new types of software and new machines, you can lower the radiation to between one and three millisieverts with a coronary CT angiogram. So now there's not that huge difference. So about a tenfold reduction in radiation. Which is huge. Uh, but it's equivalent to eight to 10 chest x-rays, would you say? I would say it's equivalent to eight to 10 chest x-rays. Okay. Correct. Or maybe even a few more. 
throw a few more in there. <laughs> Not a trivial amount of radiation, but much better than it used to be. Much better than it used to be. It's equivalent to, let's say, a couple of mammograms. Okay, So when you look at it like that, it's not that much radiation. The other thing to put radiation in perspective, all of our radiation data really come from the atomic bomb fallout. And so we really don't have as great a handle on radiation as we think we do. And one great example of that is if you look at a small town in Iran where there is radium in the mineral water, the people who live there are exposed to 256 millisieverts of radiation a year, which is about 100 times the radiation that the average person in America is exposed to on an annual basis, and yet they have a much lower incidence of cancer, okay? So it's kind of an interesting statistic. Okay, so with that said, one would say, okay, what's the value for what we're willing to give up? So if we're willing to give up that we're going to get a modest dose of radiation, what's the value that we get from the CT angiography? So in, in whom would we all agree we should order this test? All right, well, it depends if you're going to follow the guidelines, all right? And if we're going to follow the guidelines... Let's assume that we are. All right, let's, let's, let's start with the guidelines. All right. all right, if we're going to follow the guidelines, then it's in symptomatic patients with low to intermediate risk of coronary disease. And it's a variety of these symptomatic patients. For the purpose of this discussion, let's leave it at that. So it's somebody who's got a chest pain syndrome and is, if you look at their Framingham risk score or Reynolds risk score or whatever scoring system you want to look at, they fall into the low to intermediate risk and they're symptomatic. Then you have the option of doing either a stress test or a coronary CT angiogram on that patient. And I think actually those two tests, although coronary CT is looking at anatomy, whereas stress test is looking at physiology, I think we need to actually compare both of those tests and, and because they're really indicated for the same patient yeah, population. Yeah, I, I can give you an example of a young, well, let's just say a relatively young female patient who comes to emergency room every week with chest pain. She's had five stress tests. In your clinical acumen, you feel this is probably not an acute coronary syndrome. And so you make a decision, you know, we're going to do something a step further so we can send her home and, and get the CT angiogram. Is that a reasonable uh, type it's of a, a fantastic, case? It's a fantastic example. And again, going back to the radiation issue, you know, I'm sure a number of those stress tests were nuclear stress <laughs> tests. A lot of and there's about 15 to 25 millisieverts of radiation in a nuclear stress test. So you've now delivered, you know, or not you, so <laughs> one has delivered 60 to 100 millisieverts of radiation, whereas one could have done a coronary CT day one with two millisieverts or one millisievert of radiation and dismiss the entire issue. If that CT angiogram is normal, you've dismissed the issue, yes, you right? Have. And, but and, what if they've got calcium in their coronaries and then does your ability to discern whether they have significant stenosis drop and then what, is that leading you down a different path? Yeah, and that, that's a great question. And you know, there are a number of people out there who over the years have said, well, if you have too much calcium, you're not going to be able to, to get an accurate coronary CT angiogram. In the right hands, you usually can get a, an accurate coronary CT angiogram. And that's been looked at. Stefan Achenbach has written papers on this and a number of other people. Matt Budoff has written papers on this. So there are good data out there showing that our ability to look at coronary CTs and the predictive value of coronary CTs is very, very high, both positive and negative predictive value. In a patient who has an extensive calcification, let's say a coronary artery calcium score of 4,000 or so, of course, you can start you know, losing the ability to make a diagnosis. However, 
in my own practice, personally, I still will do a coronary uh, CT angiogram on those people because very often you can make the diagnosis or the coronary calcium, basically what's happening is leading to a lesion that you're able to see beyond and be able to say, oh, you know, ton of calcium, but there is no obstructive lesion there. So that happens quite frequently. So I, I don't use that to dissuade myself from doing that kind of test. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Lipid Illuminations on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown, and joining me to discuss coronary computed tomography and geography is Dr. Seth Baum, a founding physician scientist member of the Society for Cardiovascular CT and on the faculty at the University of Miami, Miller School of Medicine, and Florida Atlantic University. So, yes, Seth, I can tell you in my practice, being a balloonatic as well as a lipocrite, if they had a 4,000 calcium score and symptoms, I'd probably take them to the cath lab. Right. And I guess you could argue either way. That's a great example, though, that you don't have to necessarily screen them, and if their calcium score is high, forget the angiography. You, you really don't have to, no. I think that's been played way out of proportion to the reality. Getting back, I guess, to the coronary calcium versus the coronary CT angiogram, for me, now that radiation has been really taken out of the picture no pun intended. It's now an issue of contrast. So if a patient can tolerate contrast, I always prefer to do a coronary CT angiogram. We have enough data now looking at coronary CT angiography to predict who will or will not be at higher risk for a significant part outcome. And one of those is if they have five or more areas of plaque, that's a very bad prognostic indicator. But anyway, so now in the people who can tolerate contrast, you're getting both calcium information and you're getting a look at the wall of the vessel and you're seeing how many areas of plaque there are, where those areas are, and are they significant or not. I'll give you an example. I have a patient who's 50 years old, came to me five years ago, guy's in perfect physical condition, but has a very good friend who's a radiologist, recommended a coronary CT angiogram. Had the coronary CT angiogram, has a 30% left main. Okay, the guy, you know, had some bad luck, got the lesion in the wrong place, 30% left main. I don't know what your approach would be, but what I've done is I've said, okay, you know, we are going to maximally medicate you and treat you, drive your lipids down as low as we can, you know, in a safe fashion, and keep you exercising like you're doing, eating a healthful diet and doing all the appropriate steps. He asked me just recently if he could have another coronary CT angiogram, and I said, yes, it's been over five years, let's do it. The lesion hasn't changed at all and he's developed no new lesions. A case of one, but... No, but the interesting thing about that case, as I listen to you discuss it, is that's the cardiologist's Achilles heel. How do you follow a left main stenosis? Because those are the false negative nuclears. Patients start to progress, and because they have a global reduction in counts on their nuclear, they get read as normal. Right. We just had a 80% left main patient have a normal nuclear. You know, you would hope maybe on a stress echo their LV would deteriorate, but it, it's hard to figure out how do you follow people with left mains. So is the resolution good enough that you can confidently say yes. that you can keep a handle? Yes. And it's funny you say that, by the way, because in the last lecture, one of the cases presented was a 34-year-old woman who had a uh, family history of coronary disease but no other risk factors, who's physically active, developed symptoms, had two stress tests, two nuclear stress tests which were normal, a whole host of other things, normal, normal, normal. This was before the days of coronary CT. They finally catheter, 90% left main. That's your case. And the other thing that's interesting is the new guidelines for coronary CT 
left main, a left main that has been stented with greater than a three millimeter or equal to a three millimeter vessel is one of the indications in the asymptomatic patient for coronary CT angiography. So yeah, that is many of these patients undergo cath and you find a borderline left main lesion. And so they've already got the anatomy, but you're trying to figure out how to follow right. them. So and this it's is intriguing nice, that yeah. you bring that up. So what about the fact that, you know, every corner is having people put up CT scanners to do coronary CT, and then they're advertising it directly to patients as a non-invasive coronary angiogram, and why waste time with these other things? You can just come to us and get an IV bolus, and we'll tell you what your coronary show. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a great fan of that. First of all, the test is very, very operator-dependent. So there are hundreds and hundreds of images that we read to be able to tell a patient whether or not the patient has significant disease or even disease at all. There are some artifacts that if you don't have the, the experience of reading enough cases, you're going to miss or make a mistake on. So I am not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of patients going directly without talking to, to patients' doctors about this. I think it should go through a doctor recommendation. That's my answer. Not a fan. You had mentioned a little bit about left main stents. Any role for follow-up of other stent like stents in the branch vessels yeah, to the, try and uh, evaluate patency of stents, and how good is it for that? Currently not in the guidelines, but yes, we have enough experience looking at stents. Again, in the right hands, we can most of the time see very, very nicely through stents, and there are ways of changing the imaging of the CT scanner, setting what's called the kernel differently so that you can get a better look at a stent and you won't have the artifact that can often appear from a stent. So again, in a symptomatic patient with a prior stent, you might have a reason not to do an invasive study. This would be something reasonable. Absolutely. I just want to ask you a couple other questions and try and summarize what you've taught us. You brought up just briefly the idea of serial scanning and an example of the cases we talked about, the left main patients. And as you know, a couple of years ago, there was a tremendous amount in the news media about serial total body CT scanning that was yes. being used to screen for everything. Yes. And a total amount of radiation, at least the radiologists were very concerned about it. What is the current recommendation about whether or not one should have serial CT angiography of the heart and how much you have to worry about the radiation dose? The current recommendation is not to do serial CT scanning of the heart. I don't routinely do it. I think if somebody's going five years and wants it to be done, I don't see anything wrong with it with the low-dose radiation we have now. You have to look at this like we do everything else in medicine as on an individual basis. So I'll give you an example. I have a patient who is intolerant to statins. I had done a CT angiogram on her a year ago. She, uh, believe it or not, has a cholesterol over 400, was clean, completely clean. This year, I'm trying to get her to try other things. She said, uh, how about another CT? I said, no, it's only been a year. To make a long story short, had the CT, she's developed plaque in the course of the year. I was trying to have her do actually LDL apheresis. So, you know, it can help motivate people to do different things. We have to be thinking, we have to understand every case is different, but the guidelines say no, no serial scanning. So I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Seth Baum, a founding physician, scientist, member of the Society for Cardiovascular CT, and faculty member at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine, as well as Florida Atlantic University. Seth, thanks very much for trying to help us sort out which patients are appropriate for this test and giving us your insights. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.